You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Honey Do Me, a podcast that goes into the bedroom and beyond, hosted by Emma Norman and Cass Anderson. Here at Honey Do Me, we don't have all the answers, so we chat with experts, educators, and badass changemakers to get them. We are here to remind our listeners and ourselves that what we're going through is normal, that we are worthy of love and pleasure, and that we are all in this together. So tell us, honey, how do you do you? Hello, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I have a um, boochcraft, a hard kombucha. And so, you know what? I'm happy. You're ready to go. Do you think when people ask you, how are you, they want a true no. answer? No one gives a f- Did you uh, want a true answer just then? <laughs> <laughs> I always want a true answer from you because I actually care about you. Thank but you. Um, I think in passing, people want to hear you're good. So that's fair. Yeah. That's what I would say. Well, today on the podcast, we get back to the basics. Mm-hmm. Something that was much needed, I think. A good way to just start fresh and begin. I agree. I think, you know, sometimes we forget that we need to have a strong foundation in order to build a strong building. <laughs> <laughs> what do you build on foundations? <laughs> oh my, my God. Uh, building of, of sexuality. Yes. You know what? I loved where you went with that, but also (laughs) I could note also, I think it's great to acknowledge too, that, you know, everyone that is listening and me included with our friendship, we all come from different sexual education backgrounds. Yes, we do. And different journeys. And I think even for me, some of the stuff we talked on and that I wanted to ask questions about were things that I would, I'm just starting to learn Mm -hmm. and to explore. And especially once I went to college and like was in a different state I was able to explore more because of just different people and different circumstances. So I think it's great to get back to the basics. I agree. And I think another really cool thing about uh, this topic in particular is that it's very like shame busting. Mm -hmm. Like I think when we go back to the basics and we really learn like, oh yeah, that's normal. That's what like a healthy body does. Mm -hmm. It helps us work through a lot of the things that can be thought of, or we are told are shameful. So Mm -hmm. whether that's vaginal discharge or how your labia look. Um, Absolutely. And even asking those questions themselves can feel shaming when you're like, okay, wait, what's my vagina and what's my vulva then? And you're getting confused about 
the difference and the locale Uh, (laughs) of each. Those are questions you can be embarrassed about. And like, as a woman, I would be like, uh, I don't know which one is the difference because I fuck up on saying which Mm -hmm. one too. So even asking those questions is hard. It starts to feel too late. Like it's too late for me to not know that. But Mm -hmm. the thing is we have a shitty sex education system. We just do. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so it shouldn't be shameful. It shouldn't be embarrassing to ask those questions. It doesn't mean that that's true. Right. So that's why we are so excited to have Jordan Donnell on the podcast today. She is all the things. She's a physician's assistant, a sex educator, an intimacy coach, and she is just truly amazing and gives us all of that basic information that we need to build a strong foundation to build our strong sexuality buildings. Because <laughs> that's what you build on foundations. Yes. <laughs> I think it was great. I was so excited when we came across Jordan because I love the idea of combining sex educator, intimacy coach with a physician's assistant. I think a medical professional, a medical professional. I think that's a great space to ask your embarrassing, whatever questions and get accurate responses and get these questions that maybe you're not getting from your own healthcare professionals um, that don't you know, have a super sex positive education in their background. So I think that was a great, it was a great choice of us. (laughs) We did so good, but really Jordan offers amazing sex, positive evidence-based information. And that is so, so important. So we are so excited to share that all with you and we'll see you on the other side. Well, hi, Jordan. How are you? Welcome to Honey Do Me. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you guys today. We're super excited to have you here. Yes, we are. We've been planning questions for quite a while about all things vaginas, so we're very excited. (laughs) We actually like to start out by having you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. So I am Jordan. I am a physician assistant by trade, and I am the owner of a podcast called Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators. I recently started that podcast because I saw that there was a huge need for women's health awareness and helping normalize the things that are out there that are happening to women. So I had started that podcast and I work in primary care. However, my preference is women's health. So have you always been someone that wanted to do podcasting or something to like get to close to women to like talk to them really about their needs or did it kind of come up when you started your career as a physician's assistant and you're like you know what we need a better way to talk to women let's start a podcast so that is a really great question I actually have always been interested in women's health ever since I was a teenager I was kind of like that go-to girl for all of my friends when they had sexual health questions, birth control questions, weird vagina questions. She's my girl for that. So I get that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I actually joined Pure Romance when I was 21 as a consultant. And that is what really opened up my door as far as how little women's health education is out there and how little women are talking about their bodies and um, what is pure romance? I, I don't know what that is. Personally. <laughs> so pure romance is an in-home party planning company for women. So it's kind of like Pamper Chef, Mary Kay, but mm-hmm. it's bath and beauty products and relationship enhancement items. Ooh. Oh, okay. Well, that's super fun. So that kind of yeah. turned you to going down this route a little bit. 
exactly. So I was doing that. And at the time I was flight attending and then I went to PA school and then I used my business to support me through PA school. And then once I was done with PA school, I was working in fertility and I incorporated my pure romance business with fertility and um, kind of like helping people work on their romance. Cause when you're going through fertility treatments, reconnecting with your partner is really important. Mm-hmm. And um, then after that, I was doing family practice and kind of became the women's health guru at all of my offices. Would yeah. you say that you had like a pretty strong sexual education growing up or did you kind of seek it out on your own? That is a really good question. So my mom and I actually had a lot of conversations, but I would say that I did a lot of research on my own and a lot of trial and error. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I was, I think if my, if I asked my parents any questions, they'd be like, we can talk about it if you really want to. <laughs> like I told guests um, when we were first becoming friends, they gave me like a body book when I was very young that they would just send me with and hope that I would kind of research that and understand it. Um, but yeah, I kind of had to do a lot of trial and error on my own. My mom was yeah, they- incredibly honest, like very forward. I never had to bring anything up because she was always going to bring it up in a moment when I didn't necessarily <laughs> want to talk about it. Um, maybe even around my friends. So that was always oh, yeah. very, very fun. I've gotten a fair talk before. Yeah, you have. That's my mom. <laughs> yeah. My mom is pretty open about it, but you know, we don't talk about orgasms as kids. We don't talk about, you know, the actual act of sex. We talk about, oh, if you have sex, you're going to get pregnant don't get pregnant. And so that was kind of my experience. So you don't talk about all the the fun stuff, really. Definitely. Yeah. You don't know how to do the fun stuff. You don't know how to make sure you're doing the fun stuff for yourself and for your partner to like have a good time. And that's all really important information that we're looking for people like you to help tell us about. And we're trying to spread it. I think we should just dive into it then. And Mm -hmm. we'd love to just start out with some basics. If we could talk a little bit about some of like the real names for female genitalia, where it is, what she does, how it looks, yes. what it's supposed okay. to do. <laughs> so, this is my one of my favorite things to talk about. And surprisingly, I see women of all ages, but you would be amazed at how many women 40 plus don't know the name of their female anatomy. And they always are coming to me and they're like, my vagina hurts. I'm like, well, describe more to me what that is. And I'm like, that's actually not your vagina. That's your vulva. And your vagina and vulva are not the same thing. So what I always like to tell ladies to do is make a peace sign and put your thumb in the middle, flip it upside down. And that is kind of like your little anatomy. Oh, cute. Uh, <laughs> I love what do you that call those so things? much. Yeah. Yeah. It your, is- your hand diagram thing. It's your model. Yes. Yeah. My, <laughs> my hand model. Mo- yes. So If you look at that, the top is going to be like your mom's pubis. And then the fingers are going to be your labia. The thumb is your clitoris. And those make up your vulva. Below your clitoris would be your uh, urethra, which is where urine comes out of. And then below that is your vagina or your vaginal entrance. And that is where penetration occurs during, during sex. Okay. I love that hand, hand model. It's perfect. How did you come up with that? Were you taught it or did you make it up yourself? So I actually stole that from a pure romance consultant. Um, that's what she always does at her parties. 
to explain it. And then actually I used it for my logo, my logo oh. for my podcast. It's you totally did. Thumb in the middle. Oh, that's so that. cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Good way to like incorporate it in there. Yeah. <laughs> Very cute and stylish. Very cute. So let's talk about labia. Um, there's two of them, two sets, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. two different sets. There's outer, inner, and I want to talk a little bit about like labia normalization. So like for the inner lips specifically, um, kind of like you go off a little bit. <laughs> okay. So this is a wonderful question. And I think a lot of women don't realize that everybody is different. Some ladies are going to have long inner labia. Some are going to have short inner labia. Some are going to have different colors. I mean, it's, it varies. They may not be symmetric. They may be symmetric. Any, anything under the sun you can have, and it is all normal. And it's just your genes, right? It's just like kind of how you were, it's not like you masturbated too much as a kid, which I've, I've heard a rumor. Yeah. Never I've heard, heard that. No. Yeah. So it's just, it's just how you were born. It's just your genes. It is. It is how you're born. And you know, there are certain times when it can change. So I have seen like with pregnancy, if you have a lot of fluid retention, um, in one particular case, this lady's labia did grow and then they didn't shrink up and she ended up having a labiaplasty because they were getting in the way during intercourse. Oh, wow. What are your thoughts on labiaplasties as like a new, like mainstream kind of plastic surgery <laughs> that people are getting a lot of? I've seen I mean, it on Botched, I guess. Maybe not a lot, but like I've seen it on TV. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's a new thing. Well, I don't know how new it is, um, but in plastic surgery, they're definitely doing it more. And I would say, do you, whatever makes you happy. Um, mm -hmm. If you are comfortable with your decision and that's what you want to do, do it. If you um, don't care, then that's fine too. Yeah. I think a good step though is definitely talking about it more, like talking about mm -hmm. what you just said, like normalizing the differences, getting that out there and talking just about how we're all just different and it's fucking great. Like it's, it's fine. And yep. men need to know that <laughs> or partners, you know, know everyone needs to know it. I think like personally, I've felt a lot of shame around my labia. And I think like a lot of times when I was with a partner and they would offer to go down on me, I would say no because I was so nervous about like the way I looked or anything like that. But I would, you know, brush it off as I'm just not into that, which like I am. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. It just really sucks. Like I really cheated myself out of so much pleasure because I was so ashamed of something that's so normal. And I just hadn't seen it because I don't know, we don't show labias in a lot of places except for in <laughs> porn. <laughs> and right. so they're like, I don't know. I don't want to say perfect because I think everyone is perfect the way that they are, but they're just a very, it's, like a, it's a streamlined version of what that like media wants the kind that would like. fit in like a very tiny bikini. <laughs> yes. All of those very small bikini <laughs> bottoms that you see. It's like, that's just, that can't be real. It's like one <laughs> lip or the other at that yeah. point. <laughs> yep. Well, and you know, like if you think about it, as we're growing up, we talk about how like penises are all different with different yes. shapes, different sizes, different colors, different circumcision, uncircumcised, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. But we're not talking about how our genitalia are different and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's just how we're made. Yeah. It's not fair. Very penis centric education. Which yes. It's not. 
It's not fair. <laughs> God damn it. Let's jump into the clitoris a little bit. Um, you told us where it is. Can you talk a little more about what it does and what it looks like? Yeah, because I know it doesn't just just stop here where my thumb is. Exactly. <laughs> so the clitoris, it has over 8,000 nerve endings and you only see the tip. It actually looks like a wishbone. So if you do that hand model again and you look at it from the side, the thumb kind of extends back into the body mm -hmm. and that wishbone kind of goes around the vaginal canal and can be stimulated internally. And that's kind of where the G spot is, is all where that nerve endings are. Oh, okay. So is that the same for everyone? I mean, there's a lot of like, I don't know, stuff about G spots, but like finding it, telling your partner where it is. Like, is it just the same? So the G spot is actually a, a whole nother topic of its own. And it is, some studies say that everybody has, like everybody has one, but there's not really any data that proves that everybody has one. So we don't really know. That being said, some women will tell you they absolutely have one and they found it and they know how to pleasure it. And other women will say they haven't found it or they don't like that kind of stimulation either. Mm -hmm. And um, the G spot is usually about two to three inches in on the front side of your vaginal canal. And the best way to stimulate it is with a come hither motion and um, using that to stimulate that G spot. We need to put like a, a video side by side with our podcast or something on yeah. Instagram. Do <laughs> all, all our different hand stuff. <laughs> Before we, we do want to jump into a little bit more about sex, but one more question that we had about kind of the basics was if you could talk a little bit about, I guess it's kind of two different things, but like vaginal lubrication as well as just like discharge and different kind of stuff. Yes. So discharge and vaginal lubrication are a common question. And I actually have been asked this on other podcasts too, but it is normal to have vaginal discharge. Um, there is a wide variety. Sometimes depending on the time of the month, you're going to have different discharge. Sometimes it's going to be clearer, um, more like a sticky egg white. It might be more of a creamy, like whitish color. Um, that's totally normal. Things that are abnormal would be like a yellow, green discharge, fishy smell, cottage cheese-like discharge, but everybody has discharge, totally normal. I think one of the biggest things is learning what your normal smell of discharge is mm -hmm. and knowing how you normally smell because a lot of women think that they have abnormal discharge, but it's just totally their normal odor and it can change over time too. Mm -hmm. And it changes after sex too. Sometimes you might notice that. Okay. I was going to ask what kind of events could change it? Like would pregnancy change it? So pregnancy definitely can change you. The amount of discharge, you'll, a lot of times ladies will have more discharge menopause. A lot of ladies are going to um, tell you they have less vaginal secretions and are actually experiencing more vaginal dryness due to the lack of estrogen um, birth control pills. Okay. That can all affect your vaginal secretions antihistamines. So your allergy medications, they might, they're going to dry up everything in your face, but they're not just drying that up. They're drying everything up. And that's so, um, I would have never thought of that. I would have never thought antihistamines could do anything besides my allergies. <laughs> yep. Um, what are some things you could do to prevent like yeast infections? I would recommend, you know, some of the biggest things would be don't wear tight clothes. 
cotton undies. Um, after you work out or like are swimming or whatnot, if you're in wet clothes, change out of them, get into something dry right away. Uh, using pH balanced water-based lubricants are really helpful too. Um, we can talk about using a lubricant as well if you'd like, but lubricants are good. And then pH balanced body washes are really helpful as well, because a lot of body wash actually will throw off your pH and part of keeping all that bacteria normalized is keeping the pH balanced. Mm -hmm. And when that gets off is when the bad bacteria can kind of overgrow and can create like your bacterial vaginosis, your yeast infections, things like that. Can we talk about which parts of the female anatomy are supposed to be like washed with like soap? Yeah. Cause and I've heard some rumors. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I think it kind of, kind of depends. Okay. So for me, what I would probably recommend my patients is as long as you're washing with like water on the regular, that's all you actually really need. And all you really need to do is going to be washing like your vulva and your labia. You don't need to wash inside your vagina. Um, you don't need to douche. Don't douche, actually. Just don't do it. That throws off your pH balance. That's the little Q-tip thing. So it's like a bottle with a lid on it. Uh, like a kind of like a tampon applicator like lid and you stick it in and the solution is like water vinegar mix a lot of times and you like squeeze it in and it like rinses oh, it no. out and then it flushes out. That can't be right. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I wonder who invented that. Yeah. I'm not going to pay more to do something that she's already doing, especially adding exactly. vinegar. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> not going to add vinegar. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, no to douching. And um, summer's Eve, people use that like it's water, right? Like I've heard things that like people like kind of get messed up because they use it like on the inside and you're not supposed to, but they kind of advertise for you to like use it daily. The thing that I would be cautious about with summer's Eve is it is fragmented a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And those fragrances are going to throw off potentially if you're a really sensitive lady, it's going to throw off your pH balance, might irritate your skin, things like that. I've seen fragrances in menstrual products as Ew. well. I remember in high school, I had to borrow a pad from a friend and it was scented and I wanted to vomit the entire time I was wearing it. I was like, I feel it. It's, it was, horrible. I feel it. I smell it. I smell flowers. I smell me. It's it a lot. It didn't even smell like flowers. It smelled like, I don't know. It wasn't right. Gross. Yeah. I know there's some ladies that like it, but for a sensitive woman, mm -hmm. definitely would stay away from anything scented. Yeah. Not judging anybody that likes scented menstrual products. I'm going to throw that out there. That's your thing. That's your thing. It's just not my thing. It's just not my thing. I just yeah. prefer not. Okay. Go off about lubricants. You were saying something that you could go off about it. So I want to hear yes. it. So lubricants are super, super important. Everybody should have a lubricant. And the reason being is different times of the month, you have different amounts of vaginal secretions. And 80% of women actually enjoy sex more with a lubricant. There are like the one that I always recommend to my patients is the pure romance, just like me. It's water-based, it's, it's water-based, it's pH balanced, and it's, um, comes in unscented. So you can put that on up to like 24 hours ahead of time. Oh, wow. And it's re-wets with your natural secretions. So it continues to work. So that's really nice. Your partner doesn't even need to know that you're using it. But lubricants also protect your vagina from friction and micro tears in the vaginal canal. And that's another spot where you can get bacteria 
and potentially get you that bacterial vaginosis, yeast infections, making you even more susceptible to sexually transmitted diseases or infections, things mm-hmm. like that too. See, because when I think of lubricants, like that's all amazing information. And I feel like when I was taught about lubricants or like we talked about lubricants, it was more of like a a shameful thing to have to use. If like you need it during sex, that kind of means that like maybe something's not going right for either you or the man. I feel like there's like a weird stigma around lube. I was wondering about like why we don't talk about lube more in sex education because I was thinking about the first time I had sex and how much better it would have been (laughs) if I had lube and how much less it would hurt because I can tell you it didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And I don't really know. Like, is it supposed to hurt the first time you have sex if you're having like penetrative sex? Is it supposed to hurt the first time? (laughs) So I think that's a good question. And I think it comes down to lack of education. And when we're, and also the stigma behind it's supposed to hurt during that first time. So Mm -hmm. mentally we're expecting it to hurt where we have all this anxiety and anticipation of pain. So that makes it amplify as well. So Mm -hmm. I think that kind of combined is why it hurts. Uh, But there's also the hymen. Doesn't sometimes that rip and that can really hurt? So the hymen actually doesn't have any nerve endings. And so that, and it's got very, it's got very few nerves. It's got very few blood flow to it as well. And so really the bleeding and the pain associated with the hymen isn't that much, Mm -hmm. but the hymen, do you want to talk about the hymen a little bit? Yeah, go for it. (laughs) So the hymen is another one of those things where everybody's a little bit different and some ladies will have a partial hymen, but hymen actually has nothing to do with virginity and can be broken prior to losing or having penetrative intercourse. You, it can be broken from fingers. It can be broken from toys. It can be, you know, broken for a variety of different reasons. And at the end of the day, not everybody has a full hymen. You know, some ladies will have a very small hymen. Some ladies will have a complete hymen where they would need like a surgical procedure. I had a friend that needed that. Her tampon got stuck within one of her first periods that she had because her hymen had moved over after she put in her tampon or like it had like adjusted or something and it got stuck. And so that's when she realized that she needed surgery. And I had no idea that that was a thing that could happen. And that was terrifying because I was, is she okay? She's okay. She's, you know, my, she's 10 years later and she's fine. We would love to talk a little bit about orgasms and what happens in the vagina, or I guess just overall, um, when you're having an orgasm. So an orgasm by definition is kind of going to be those rhythmic motion or like rhythmic contractions of your muscles. And so usually that's going to be like your vaginal canal. It's going to pull on the ligaments inside your pelvic cavity, kind of incorporating your uterus. And, um, there's some studies done on it, but on average, it's about two out to, I want to say like 40 rhythmic contractions, um, over a handful of seconds. We wanted to talk about female ejaculation as well. How, what is, what is it and how do you know when it's happening? So female ejaculation is when fluid comes out of the urethra that is not urine, 
that um, comes out, it can be associated with an orgasm, but it can also be not associated with an orgasm. And it's different for everybody. Most often it's going to be achieved with G-spot stimulation, but not always. And the amount of fluid varies between every individual. So some ladies will just have a little bit. Some ladies, you may get a half cup to a cup or more of fluid. And the other thing with female ejaculation is that a lot of times it's like a process where you really have to relax. And a lot of times it'll feel like you're going to urinate. But if you just kind of breathe past that, it's not urinating and you just relax and let it go. And that's from the books that I've read. That's how it kind of describes it and what to do. The only place I'd heard, well, I guess I've heard about female ejaculation from other places, but the only time that I really heard it talked about was in a Netflix documentary. I can't remember which one, one about porn. Um, And they were like, oh yeah, it's just urine. It's just urine. Because they were teaching somebody how to like be in porn, I guess. They were teaching a new woman. I don't really know. Um, Porny. But yeah, they were just very insistent that it was just urine. That's all it is because she was very concerned and she didn't know what it was and she was supposed to do it on camera. So it's nice to hear that. that it's word. I hate that word. I don't want to say it, but is that what that is then? So female ejaculation and squirting would be synonymous. They're the same, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's not a bad thing. I just don't like the word. It's a. It's like moist. It's like those words for me. But Make up a new word for it right now. Go. Mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. There's the word. The <laughs> um, okay. I guess I'm still just trying to wrap my head around because like, would that be when someone asks, like, did you come? So I would say no. Um, I would say that coming would be synonymous to like orgasming. Mm-hmm. You orgasmed um, where ejaculating would be like squirting and different. Mm-hmm. But I think it probably just depends on what your definition is. And there's mm-hmm. probably a variety of different definitions out there. but that's what I associate with coming and orgasming. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I'm going to, I'm going to use that too. That sounds good. <laughs> Take it and run with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, we know you talk, you've talked a little bit about uh, sex drive and libido on your podcast. I'm wondering if we can dive into that a little bit. So libido is your sex drive and sex drive can vary between individuals. There's a lot of different things that can impact your sex drive. So time of the month, um, a lot of ladies will find that during ovulation, their sex drive is a little bit more increased. That's very true for me. Yeah. Mm, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) I wish something like that was true. My whole system has been jacked up since birth control. So I'm still working to get it back. I'm sorry, but keep continuing. (laughs) No. Well, in birth control is definitely something that can also affect the sex drive. You also have menopause, pregnancy, anything with hormonal changes that can affect your sex drive. Chronic diseases can affect your sex drive. So um, especially like with orgasms, if you have a disease that affects nerves and nerve endings, that can affect your sex drive. And I, um, 
anxiety medication and depression medication also has a huge impact on sex drive. And one of the number one side effects is anorgasmia or the inability to orgasm. So that's one of the things to always keep an eye out for too. And I find a lot of, a lot of patients have issues with that. Is that true in men as well? Do you know if those I've seen it. Okay. Just wondering if it's fairly distributed or not. (laughs) Is this fair to everyone? Because it sucks for me. (laughs) Well, and I think it's hard to say because more women are treated for anxiety and depression than men. And then at the same time, who's more likely to complain about the concern too? Um, and you, yeah. Would you, is there like any standard of like a healthy libido or a healthy sex drive or is it very like individual? I personally would say it's very individual and what you're happy with and happy with your relationship with. And for some people, that's going to be more than others. For others, I think there is also like a point of like your sex drive being too high as well and impacting your life too. So I think it kind of goes both ways, but depending on you and your relationship or, you know, your relationship with yourself, even, I think it just depends on what you feel best with. Is there anything that impacts a high, like, like can create a high sex drive? Like supplement time of life whatever that is there anything anything i can take take? (laughs) (laughs) no no i mean a different jesus (laughs) i would say there there absolutely is some things that you can do to manipulate it one thing is any kind of hormone supplementation that can Mm -hmm. make a difference so um increasing your estrogen increasing testosterone but you really don't want to increase testosterone in women So that can make an impact on your sex drive. The other thing, um, supposedly my family members have told me that 40 is for them when peak sex drive hit and to look forward to that. However, I hear from other people that like premenopausal is when it tanks. So I think it's very individual. Mm -hmm. I've heard of like, (laughs) or I've seen it. I haven't bought it. It's very expensive. Like the moon juice sex dust. I feel like I see that everywhere. Okay, what? don't look at me like that. No, what is that? That sounds um, very Moon Juice is Ashland. This, it's not Ashland, it's LA. Okay. All right. Um, it's a very I don't know, it's just like a fancy vegan like cafe and they have like products. I don't know. What is in it? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm I didn't do research. That far. <laughs> if you're it gonna bring it up, fancy. I'm gonna ask you I questions. I think there's adaptogens in it. Okay. I d I don't know what adaptogens means. Like so mushrooms. Oh. Yeah. Maybe ashwagandha, maybe chaga. I don't really know. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Well, we've gone into a lot of the basics. What, and I think we've touched on this a little bit, but what are some signs of a healthy reproductive system? Of a reproductive system or sex? Of a healthy reproductive system. How do I know when I'm on the right track? I have good discharge or, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe there isn't an answer to that. Maybe when do you know that you're on the wrong when you need to go to a doctor? I can answer that one. Okay. So something to kind of look out for when you're like, mm, maybe I should go see a doctor would be like an abnormal odor. So a change in your vaginal odor, a itching, itching is, is always something, um, changes in discharge. So like I mentioned earlier, the green, 
the yellow discharge, things like that, cottage cheese-like discharge, those are all good indicators that something probably is going on and you should go see your provider. Do you have any like things that commonly happen with like women our age? There's a handful of common things that I see. Um, It's going to be a lot of sexually transmitted diseases and um, a lot of people who think they have UTIs, but it's actually more of a bacterial vaginosis after intercourse. I actually see a lot of that. Um, Because you're supposed to pee right? Yes. Yep. Making sure you urinate after you have sex is really important, but also coming back to that, using a lubricant. If you're not using a lubricant, you get those micro tears, which can increase the bacteria growth potential and lead to some type of infection. So, um, that is probably what I most commonly see is ladies complaining of UTI symptoms, but it's not a UTI. A quick question about the peeing. (laughs) (laughs) Does it have to be like a lot or like, cause sometimes like I don't don't have have to to pee pee a lot. And so I pee a little bit and I'm like, was that enough? And then I think about it for a little while. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I got it all out. (laughs) Well, I would just say as long as you're emptying your bladder. So if it's just a little bit great, if it's a lot great, the key is that during intercourse, you have all that friction that's put on your urethra and it can cause bacteria to back to backflow into your bladder. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of what can happen. So when you pee, even if it's just a little bit, you're pushing that bacteria back out. Until college, I didn't know that you had to pee after you had sex because that's like what was healthy. And I always, I can remember for a significant amount of time having to go to the bathroom after having sex, like just as like an instinctive thing that I had to do, but I'm glad that I did it. And I didn't know that it was a thing until college. I didn't know until I got a UTI with like the first time I had sex with this current partner. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was horrible. It, it I'm just going to give a little background because it was the <laughs> worst day. It was snowing the streets. You couldn't drive. So I had to walk to the doctor's office with a UTI. I wasn't like now he's my fiance. So we're very, very close. But at that time, didn't know him as well. Didn't really want to talk to him about it. Was kind of angry at him, which isn't fair, but <laughs> it is what it is. And so I walked in the snow probably two miles to my doctor's office with the UTI. And that's when I learned you have to pee after sex. So. Wow. You'll never forget. No, I don't forget. No. <laughs> <laughs> I jump right up or walk right over. Um, so let's talk a little bit about prepping for your annual exam. Anything that women should be doing before this exam? Not a damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually, I see a lot of patients that are like, I don't want you to do an exam today because I'm not ready for it. And at the end of the day, like, I don't care what it looks like. We don't care what it looks like. You know, hopefully you've showered in the last 24 hours, um, you know, but regular hygiene, nothing special. You don't need to shave for us. You don't need to wax for us. You don't need to do anything. Just come as you are. Mm-hmm. We're not paying attention to the differences you know, we're not paying attention to the labia differences. We're not paying attention to the uniqueness per se of, of the vulva and the vagina, things like that. We're looking for medically necessary things. And so I hope that reassures uh, listeners as well, because, um, we're not, we're not analyzing it. I know like being a lady who has received pelvic exams, or I had recently done some fertility stuff. 
every time I went in, I was like, oh, I need to make sure like I, I totally did the same thing all my patients do. And I wanted to make sure I showered, make sure I was freshly groomed. And um, I know that they're not paying attention, but it's just something that I still want to do. We're programmed. I know for me, one of the issues that I have with annual exams or just appointments in general is I have a million things that I want to talk about and then I forget every single one of them and then I just tell them I'm totally fine and everything is fantastic when that is not true. So You got to write them down. Mm-hmm. Write them down. And you know, what I actually tell a lot of patients is, hey, we saw you for your first appointment. Let's follow up in a week or two. Write anything down that comes up over this period of time that you want to talk about. So like right now I'm working with a couple of ladies who are having some period issues and, um, or one that has some questions about herpes and she's not sure what her questions are yet, but I'm like, Hey, let's schedule an appointment so that you can think about everything, write it all down. And then we can talk about what your questions are and get you solid information rather than Google and, and who knows what you're going to find. Right. Exactly. So it's okay to come in with like your paper and be like, okay, I have these questions. I need to get through them. (laughs) It's absolutely okay to bring in your paper, but depending on what your visit is for, your provider may only have a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And so they may only be able to answer a couple of them. So know what your primary questions are and then, um, save the rest for another appointment Mm -hmm. and things like that. But keep that in mind. I tend to spend more time. If somebody has questions, I do tend to spend more time, but a lot of providers due to the way it works, the system works, just don't have the time to answer 40 questions. Right. Right. Your top three. Yeah. Keep your top three. That's usually what you hear. (laughs) Do you have any last little tidbits? I think that's all I got. We can... (laughs) None of those, Uh, but I think we can move into our final segment. This is the part where we love to do homework for honeys. Where we talk about one actionable step that we can all do to start incorporating what you talked about today. So Jordan, would you do the honor of assigning our homework for today? Yes. So today's homework, I want you to go grab a mirror and take a look at your vulva. I want you to analyze it. See what it looks like. Is it symmetric, asymmetric? What color is it? Kind of learn what your normal is so that in the future sometime, if something's going on, you can be able to identify what is abnormal. Embrace the uniqueness of your vulva. Vulva power, man. I don't know. I've never said that in my life. Anyway, I love your homework. I think that's perfect. We all need to do that. Yes. And we would love for you to let listeners know where they can connect with you. Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Jordan Donnell, J-O-R-D-A-N-D-N-E-L-L-E. And you can also find my podcast, Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. Which we love. It's so good. Go listen. Thank you so much to Jordan for being on the podcast today. We had so much fun going over all the basics and getting to ask all of our questions. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. 
And if you thought this information was as helpful as we did and you just want to keep it going with us, you can follow us on Instagram, Podcast, and you can head to our website, honeydoomepodcast.com and subscribe to our beautiful email list. And what will they get? You are going to get our freebie, which is currently a list of our 10 favorite sex things, Cass's game changers, Emma's non-negotiables. And they're pretty good. We had a lot of fun with them. They're pretty damn good. So please, if you have time, rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me Podcast on Apple Podcasts. That helps spread all of this wonderful information. And the more people that have it, the better. We can just make a better world by sharing Honey (laughs) Do Me Podcast. There we go. We'll see you next episode. See you next week. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.